So this is an interesting chapter, and there is debated about whether it's original. And um, there is even a theory. I'm not going to go too deep into this. I don't think the theory holds a lot of water. But there's a theory that this was intended to be attached to the letter to the Ephesians rather than the church in Rome. Uh, and part of it has to do with Aquila and Priscilla because were they in Rome or were they in Ephesus? They were, we see the scripture records, they were in both places. Um, and so um, to me it's not a major debate. The only thing that was interesting too is that at the end of verse 5, now the peace of God be with you all, excuse me, the end of chapter 15, Verse 33, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And so you would kind of get the impression that, that he was done. And, and this is really the only letter that he, that Paul refers to the greetings of so many people. Um, and you have uh, 24 that are mentioned here, two that are unmentioned. Nine of them are women. So it's, uh, he, he doesn't even mention people at all except for in the book of Colossians where he refers to one or two people at the end. Other than that, he, he doesn't, doesn't do this. So um, how this is chapter is separated, one guy has separated it uh, in really five different parts. The, verses, the first is verse 1 and 2 is uh, Paul's comments uh, about Phoebe, Phoebe to the church in Rome. We're going to talk about her in just a second. And then you have, second of all, this long list of, of greetings to Paul's friends and his helpers that are living in Rome, which is interesting because it's, they don't believe, we don't have any record of him being in Rome prior to writing this letter. So that's where some of the other, uh, where it becomes like, what's really going on here? But I've, people moved around then, they moved around now. This was uh, a time that Claudius had the emperor had kicked all the Christians, well, actually the Jews. And at that time, they didn't distinguish between Jews and Christians. They considered Christians a Jewish sect. So they kicked all the Jews, including the Christians, out of Rome. But then Claudius dies, and they come back. They actually come, I've kind of referred to that a few times. They come back to Rome, um, and then you've got a guy named Nero who becomes the emperor who, at least initially, was only part evil, semi-sane. So he got worse and worse and worse. Um, in fact, the early church referred to him as the Antichrist. And more specifically, they referred to him as the beast. Um, and he, he definitely meets the qualifications. Um, so the long list of, of friends and helpers in Rome. And then thirdly, uh, verse 17 through 20, you have a warning against false teachers, which is probably what I'm going to look at on Sunday. And uh, then fourthly, you have the, the greetings from uh, Paul's companions to the Church of Rome, uh, Gaius being one of them. Um, and then there's a name that I can't remember. Um, yes, uh, Gaius w um, was the host, and Tertius uh, was the one who was actually recording the letter. Uh, Paul dictated to uh, Tertius. And then fifthly, you have the doxology, verses 25 through 27. So... Uh, so we jump into this where he says, I commend you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church and sent Cherea. 
Centuria was a area of kind of a port area outside of the city of Corinth, kind of uh, on the east side. I don't know if this is really important to you, but uh, she's from the area of Corinth, and she's also mentioned by Paul of having been there in the book of Acts chapter 18, verse 18. So Phoebe is a, our sister who is a servant of the church in Centuria. It is believed that she probably delivered the letter. And that's why she is included in this uh, little section here. Uh, we don't know for sure. Uh, Phoebe is a, is a pagan name. Um, and the... the Particularly, so obviously she was a Greek, a Gentile. And often it was that when, in the early church, there, in ancient times there was a, a there was a, uh, when something significant happened to a person, they would change their name. They, they would go through a name change. But in the early church, from what we've seen in, in a lot of their uh, literature, or, or the writings of the early church, they don't change their names. And I'm, I'm not even sure why. I don't even really have an explanation for that. But they didn't feel like they needed to change their names because it could be because of what Paul wrote to, <clears throat> to the Corinthians, that in Christ you were what? In Christ you were a new creature, new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so it could have been their, their claim to that. Um, and so uh, it's Phoebe's a pagan name. It's kind of actually associated with a heathen deity. Uh, but, but nonetheless, she is a servant uh, of the church. Now, this word servant is the word diakonos. The word diakonos is where we get our word deacon. All right? So, um, and I read some interesting things to where a couple of commentators refer in regard to their observations about some of the things that are written about um, some of the women in this chapter. They, they try to water them down. And I, 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 if that's how they want to interpret it, right? The other side of the coin is you can't necessarily say that this, whether or not this is truly a proof text or not for for the place of women in the service and the ministry of the church. But this is probably, and not everybody I've read agreed with this, but it is a feminine form of the Greek word diakonos where you would get an English translation or transliteration of deaconess. And so... Um, in, your mileage is going to vary on this because was she simply one who served in the church or did she hold the office of deacon? And we don't, we don't necessarily know here uh, just based on what is written um, whether or not that's true or not. Hey, Tim, how you doing? Just right. Okay, excellent. Um, so she's a servant of the church. Serving, I think she's serving as a deacon um, because uh, 
And and my my other thought on this is I don't think that women. I don't think that women, in fact, cannot serve as deacons of the church. Um, I don't I don't see that as a I don't see that as a problem. Um, and but I I lean a little bit. Non-conservative. I wouldn't say liberal. If you think I'm a liberal, you've never met one. Okay, but uh, I would say I lean I lean a little bit non-conservative on this. But it and you know, um, because the reality is, women do a lot of service in the church, do they not? And is service in the church a form of of um, performing an office known as the deacon? Now in churches that we grew up in, you grew up in at least, and I, I'm referring to you because I know you were Southern Baptist, the, the board of deacons really acted like the board of elders. And they had a lot of power in the church. Um, and they were more of like, they were actually acted like the presbytos, all right, the, the, the board itself, that this, this small group of, of men who ruled the church in a Presbyterian church. The deacons in most Baptist churches at least that I was familiar with, uh, acted like the presbytos, although they were supposed to be deacons. Um, without taking the time to turn there, you have in the book of Acts, the apostles are saying that it is not right for us to, uh, to leave the, the time that we have for prayer and giving ourselves to the word of God to wait tables, right? So they put it upon the church. If you read it carefully, the apostles did not appoint the deacons. The church did. And there were some pretty stiff qualifications of what, it, what you had to fulfill to be able to be a deacon. And let's put this in the context of that culture. There were some pretty stiff qualifications. I might even just take the time to turn there if I can find there. I think it's Acts 7. I don't have it in my notes. Um, and it's not Acts 7, I don't think. But it was in, when, when they appointed the seven deacons. And um, if you can find it, let me know, because I'm trying to talk and look at the same time, and so you know how well that works. But... Um, there were some pretty stiff qualifications of the deacons so that they would have the ministry of waiting tables, primarily waiting tables for women. And, and women did not have the status then that they have today. So, um, thank you, chapter 6. I was one off. Okay, I was going the wrong way, too, so I never would have found it, man. I was going toward 8 and 9. Um, but it says, therefore, chapter 6, verse 3. I'll back up to 2. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples, and they said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Uh, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good re- reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, and when they when they had given ourselves, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose. And I won't read those names because I won't do any better than some of you did. So um, anyway, uh, but they set them before the the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Um, so 
uh, it's a pretty, it was a pretty high qualification to serve as, as a deacon. Um, Phoebe is one who uh, was a servant in the church outside of Corinth, uh, that, and Paul is telling them to receive her. Interesting that he puts this at the end of the letter instead of at the beginning. I don't have an answer for that one either, but I, don't, I guess I don't need one. But, but um, we serve here in the, in the Lord in a worthy manner of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper for many and myself also. So not only were they to receive her, but if she had any needs, they were to meet those needs for her. So um, probably giving her a place to stay, food to eat, um, that, that type of a thing, a bed to sleep in. Uh, and then she probably returned back to Centuria. So, and, and, um, and then in verse 3, um, we start this lengthy list of people that Paul is saying to say hello to. Greet uh, Priscilla and Aquila um, in verse 3. There is a lot, really, that could be said about Priscilla and Aquila. Um, one of the things that's, that's interesting is they're listed about six times in the Scripture, and four out of the six times, Priscilla is listed first. Two times, Aquila is listed first. And there's usually a reason for that, and it usually has to do with priority. Which I, if, When you see a list of the apostles that are written in the book of Acts, who is listed first with the apostles? Peter. He was, he was considered the head of the apostles, which is interesting because but by the time we get uh, into the book of Acts with, uh, I think it's Acts 15, with the first Jerusalem council, who's really overseeing the church in Jerusalem? James, the brother of Jesus. And, um, but when you have the list, listing of the apostles, Peter's first. So it, it, it brings out his preeminence. So uh, Aquila and Priscilla, um, they may have been relatively wealthy, uh, had a house large enough to house a church. And it appears that they, they traveled a lot. Um, they were in Ephesus, that's uh, with Paul, Acts 18, 18 again. Uh, and they were, um, later on, they were with, they were with Paul. Uh, and he mentions them also in 1 Corinthians 16, 19 and 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. Um, so it's mentioned that they were in Ephesus and uh, that they actually, in Ephesus, they had a house there and that, the church met in their house in Ephesus. That's part of why there's this idea of thinking that this might have been slipped in and should have been part of the last portion of the book of Ephesians. But I tend to really doubt that. Um, but there's, you know, there's really, other than the fact that they might have been wealthy enough to be able to, they had gotten a home and then they went from Ephesus and returned back to Rome. But it's interesting because uh, it, it shows them in Ephesus, Second uh, Timothy chapter two, verse uh, chapter four, verse nineteen, which was the last Paul letter that Paul wrote. So he writes that much later than he does this letter to the Romans. Um, so, 
I think they did to some degree. Uh, originally, they were kicked out. They were the two that had mentioned in the book of Acts. They were kicked out of, the, out of uh, Rome when uh, Claudius expelled the, all the Jews from Rome. And uh, again, they didn't know the difference between a Jewish Christian and a Gentile Christian, or they didn't even recognize the difference between the Jewish faith and, and the Christian faith. Um, so... Um, so they they were tent makers with with uh, with Paul. That was I think that was part of how they they ended up coming together. Uh, again, driven out of, of Rome uh, by Claudius, and they meet Paul in Corinth, um, and they stay there with him. Eight, Acts eighteen verses two and three. And as you were asking, Larry, in, uh, when Paul goes to Ephesus, they go with him. Um, verses eighteen and nineteen of the eighteenth chapter of the book of Acts. So. Uh, apparently, they were very, very close friends, uh, very influential uh, in the church, where it says that they risked their own necks for my life, which could have referred to that riot that took place in the book of Acts chapter 19. Remember when they were, they were yelling, Hail Diana of the Ephesians, and this big riot took place? Because what happened is that the word of God was penetrating the book of, or the, the city of Ephesus to such a degree that these guys that were making idols for uh, the worship of Diana, uh, they were starting to lose money because these people were turning to the true and living God. So if you turn to the true and living God, you don't need to go to the idol maker who's going to make your God for you, right? Um, so... <coughs> It says not only did they, they risk their neck, uh, uh, it says to whom uh, they risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And so, you know, obviously they had a reputation among the church. And then in verse 5 it says, likewise greet the church that is in their house. So not only is he greeting uh, Priscilla and Aquila here in this passage. He's also greeting all of those who were in the church uh, of the house uh, that met uh, in their home. And so, what it looks like, and it, th this is kind of speculative, because I think some of the some of the best work on this is still a little speculative. It, it appears that they, in the cities where the gospel went in the early churches, that they met in homes. That's pretty well established. Um, and that there was a connection between these house churches. And there may have been, may have been someone who was like a bishop who kind of overseed um, the work of the churches and the, the order of the churches uh, within that particular city. It's important to remember that when Paul writes these letters, and particularly this one to the Romans, he's not just writing to one congregation, but he's writing to all of the Christians that are in the city of Rome. And so um, then you have, uh, greet my beloved uh, Epianatus, I don't think I said that right. Ipianatus, that's closer. 
who is the first fruits of Achaia uh, to Christ. Um, which is interesting because 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15, mentions the household of Stephan- Stephanus uh, as the first c- converse in Achaia. He may have been a part of that household. He might have been a slave in that household. <clears throat> we, we don't know. He, but uh, Paul is recognizing him as the first fruits of Achaia, um, but now he's here in Rome. So, again, you see how where people move around uh, more than we want to think, more than we want to believe. And so I, that's, that's another one, of the, at least my thinking, is that um, this couldn't have been intended for the Ephesians. This was intended for the Romans. Um, but, again, I don't know why the end of chapter 15 closes in the way that it does, but it is kind of an abrupt closing if you compare chapter 15 of Romans to how Paul closed a lot of his other letters. This, uh, and all of a sudden, he, you know, he's teaching, teaching, teaching. May the God of peace be with you, amen. So it, it may not really be well looked at as a, uh, uh, a closing statement. Um, and then you have to greet Mary who labored uh, much for us. So you, got, you were mentioned here. To the Romans, Mary. There, th- what's interesting, there are six different Marys mentioned in the New Testament. And sometimes, particularly in the Gospels, it's kind of hard. It can be a little difficult to try to keep straight which Mary that the narrative is really even talking about. Uh, but um, we don't know anything about this particular Mary other than Paul knows her. Um, now, I, I, w- I will read to you, and you might agree with this. I don't, but I'm going to read it to you anyway, just out of fairness. Um, one of the commentators, and I re- kind of referred to this earlier, uh, because in, in verse 12 you have another mention of these women. Uh, in verse 12, those are all women. Those are all feminine names. Um, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and uh, Persis. Well, and I'm going to get back to this in a second, but I'm jumping ahead of myself. Uh, a commentator said, uh, and I put it in quotes, um, that their hard work is to work as a Christian but not necessarily to do Christian, that is, church work. So I'll, I'll, I'll read it again. That their hard work was in reference to them doing work as a Christian. In other words, you're a Christian bricklayer, right? That, and you did hard work. Uh, because you're a Christian, you work well, right? That's what he's referring to. Rather than... Uh, to do the Christian work, that is, to do the work within the church. That was, uh, is, you've, I've never heard of this guy. His name was Barrett. But anyway, uh, that's possible. But to be able to extract that from this passage is not good exegesis. So Paul, Paul Barrett, uh, I, I, would, I would send that paper back. If I was, if if I got that in in a in a seminary class, I'd send that paper back because it's, to me it's not good it's not good working within the text because the text it just doesn't say that. Um, so, um, but Mary nonetheless is identified as one who worked very hard for and who labored very much for us. Uh, so obviously, us means what. 
It includes whom? Paul. So Paul knew Mary somehow, and somehow Mary ends up in Rome. Paul's writing this from Corinth. Um, and then to greet Urbanus, our fellow worker, and Stachus, uh, my beloved, uh, really not a whole lot was really uncovered with these guys, so I'll just, I'll, I'll be, but uh, I'll just kind of read it and continue on. Um, but I'm looking for verse 11 where it says, Great Herodian, my countryman. Now, I, I think one of your translations, it might not have been this verse, but it was another verse where it referred to um, some of Paul's relatives. And that could have been a word that Paul was using to refer to them because they were Jewish. It doesn't necessarily mean they were blood relatives. So it could be just a reference to um, to the fact that they were they th- these countrymen were were fellow Jews, and um, so great Herodian. He, he, it's believed that Herodian was from the house of Herod, actually, and the house of Herod. He was only he was an idiomaean, so he was kind of only a, like a part Jew, um, and the Jews didn't accept him as a Jew. Of course, uh, but nonetheless, uh, and, and again, th- these are things that are that they they tend to believe. But I, I've again, I haven't, I didn't want to, I didn't have the time to dig into this deeply enough to see how well um, this was really documented in 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 first century uh, writings. And then the uh, the greeting to Narcissus. Who uh, who are in the Lord? <laughs> I thought that was funny because it's narcissist, from which we get the English word narcissist. Um, and actually, one of the Greek gods was nar- named Narcissus. So this is a Greek name, actually. And it was the Greek god Narcissus was a god that was totally in love with himself. <laughs> Obviously, um, so. Um, then in verse 12, you have greet uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. So again, you have these, these are women. All three of these names are female names. So I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts that he's referring to women here. Um, and, and these, it, it's interesting that only the references to the women, for the most part, in this passage are that Paul says they have labored. It's like, what in the world were the men doing? <laughs> but, you know, but uh, I thought this was an interesting kind of an observation about Tryphena and Tryphosa uh, because it was customary back then to give children uh, similar-sounding names. I mean, people even do it today. And uh, so it's believed that Tryphena and Tryphosa may have been sisters and possibly even twins. Um, and, and their names are associated with the, with the meaning of softness, delicacy, and daintiness. Um, and so you have these, these women, these two women, uh, that were dainty and soft and delicate, but they were hard workers. So uh, not that a dainty and soft and delicate woman can't work hard, all right? Don't, uh, but it, I, just, I just 
found it to be interesting that, uh, that that's what their names mean. And uh, yes, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa, uh, greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. So it, it, it's, to me, I, I look at this as Christian service of some type. Now, it's my personal belief that there is no difference between the secular and the sacred. Sacred. Everything that we do is really work as unto the Lord. Everything that we do is really working to the Lord. Sometimes it may be in, a, in more of an enclosed context of like working within the church. Does that make sense? I'm seeing the light bulb start to come on here a little bit. But we really cannot fully read into what this is saying about what does it mean? Did they clean house? Did they make a meal? Did they wash the windows? Well, they didn't have windows. Anyway, um, we don't know. We know that, that with Jesus and when he was doing his mission work and he had, he had apostles that followed him, he had other disciples, and they weren't necessarily fully named apostles in the early part of this, but they were the disciples. They, there was the 12. There were others that tagged along, and there was a group of women that attended to their needs, and primarily by probably cooking dinner at camp every night. Um, or, you know, uh, and, and a couple of them were wealthy women who were able to care for the Lord and his ministry in that way. So you have to think in the context, too. Now, I'm going to talk about Jania in just a second. I'm going to tip this all over, all right? But you have to think in the context, too, that women were not given a whole lot of preeminence at all back then. Uh, but, you know, we lead off this whole chapter with Phoebe, a servant. Um, a deaconess, and receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Where does that put her? To a degree, because we're all saints, right? But that puts her on equal footing, I think. Phoebe's here. Now you can finally get the dishes washed. That's not what he's saying here. You know what I mean? Phoebe's here. Receive her. Um, in a manner worthy. And assist her in whatever business, business she has need of you. So there's something going on here. Obviously, we're not made privy to it. Um, and then Persis is interesting because it means Persian woman. So she, so you have this Persian woman who's in Rome, serving among the church. Um, she would be considered a Gentile. So in the, in the biblical strata between Greek and Gentile, i.e. Greek and 
Jew, she would be considered a Gentile. But she's, you know, she's not European. She's from Persia, um, which I find fascinating. Um, and I'm missing one. I skipped verse 7. I'm going to go back to it. Okay. It's too late? Well, um, there's not a lot in 8 to get, to get from. But I, can, I back, can I go back to 7, though? Okay, thanks. All right, 7. <clears throat> I'm, I apologize. I just, uh, all the names. So Androni Andronicus and Julia, or Julius, uh, are cited as uh, relatives also. Um, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners. Countrymen and fellow prisoners. Um, first, the fellow prisoners. Clement of Rome, Clement was, Clement was the bishop of Rome, wrote first and second Clement. It's not considered part of the New Testament, but it was written very early. Um, I want to think Clement wrote either very late first century, which is when John wrote Revelation, which I believe anyway, or very early second century. Clement was a bishop of, of Rome. He wrote two letters to the Corinthians. And in his letter, in his first letter, uh, he said uh, that Paul had been in prison seven times. Uh, the, the, the quote from Clement 5, 6 is seven times, referring to Paul, seven times he was in bonds. So th this was the idea of the belief of the early church, even though we don't have it recorded for us in the book of Acts, or Paul doesn't refer to all of them. Notice he re does refer to Andronicus and Junia as my countrymen and my fellow prisoners uh, who are of note among the apostles who are also, or who also were in Christ before me. So uh, Andronicus and Junia, which means he would be a Hellenistic Jew because that is a Greek name. Um, fellow prisoners, fellow countrymen, they were Christians before Paul was. Now, the real catch on this one is Junia, Junia is a female name. Now, and, and so in, in the manuscripts that are used to translate the New King James, and I believe the Texas Receptus, which translates the Old King James, uh, Junia is a female. And although the name could be understood as, as either masculine or feminine, but in, in I looked it up, in, in the Greek text, it's female. Um, and... The early church considered Junia as a woman married to Andronicus. That's who they identified as this Junia here in Romans 16, verse 7. Now, yes, uh, in some translations, they translate it relative. Now, remember, Jew was a... Sorry, Paul was a Jew, but was he from Jerusalem area? No, he was from Tarsus. And um, 
although Saul, which was his original name, is a, a Jewish name. Um, but it probably refers to them being Jews. Um, what, where, where this really becomes a sticking point, because you have this phrase here, who are of note among the apostles. So what this is saying, and let me, let me explain this here, uh, how this is often interpreted, this phrase, among the, uh, among the apostles, um, means that they were a part of this group known as the apostles, rather than in the eyes of the apostles. In other words, it's not saying Andronicus and Junia in the eyes of the apostles uh, who were in Christ before me, or of note in the eyes of the apostles. They're of note among the apostles. It refers to them to being a part of this group of the, this group of the apostles. Now, the ministry of an apostle is what? Literally, a word apostle literally means what? One who is sent. Okay? There are... A few, and we talked about this back when we were in the book of Ephesians back last month, right? Um, quite a long time ago. There are lowercase apostles. There were upper, uppercase apostles. And those that are outside of the 12 that are mentioned in Scripture, it's, in my opinion, not really definitive enough to be able to determine are they lower or upper. So you could have a female apostle here outside the 12 because of the way the, of which it's grammatically structured. It, 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 it doesn't, it just, ref, James being one, okay, um, I want to think of it, Barnabas being another. It, it refers to them as apostles, I think Silas as well. Uh, it refers to them being apostles, but it does not make a distinction about them being on the on an apostolic mission and separate from the twelve. It doesn't make that distinction. Now, the book of Revelation, you have twelve elders um, representing the twelve tribes of Israel, but you also have the twelve. Twelve. Jesus talks about twelve thrones, of which will sit whom. The apostles. And, and so, the, about how many apostles do you have if you don't count Barnabas and you don't count Andronicus and you don't count Junia and you don't count Silas? How many apostles do you have? At least 13. How many tribes in Israel do you have? You have 13. Technically, you have 13, according to, that was a, when, when Israel, okay, I had to get my patriarchs straight, okay, you're tapping some files that are a little dusty, but when Israel laid hands upon Manasseh and Ephraim, and he said, these two are mine, that was a legal declaration, it wasn't just, you know, you're, you're going to be like my boy now, Joseph's sons, right, right. And so, and technically, you could say this, because at times, with the tribes are listed, 
you have Joseph even mentioned. But most of the time it's either Ephraim or Manasseh. But sometimes not always both of them. And when you have the listing of the, of the uh, tribes, they're not always the same. Usually you have one left out. I think one of the last listings you have is in the book of Revelation, the tribe of Dan is left out. Um, and there's all kinds of speculation for that. But Jesus just said, on my kingdom I'll have 12 thrones, and upon those thrones will sit the 12 apostles. So I, is it going to be uh, Matthias, the 12, or is it going to be Paul, the 12? And, and what is this kingdom? You know, there's a lot of things that I, th I think sometimes we read them and we really think we have answers. And if we really read them and think of them carefully enough, we really don't. Anyway, you're going to say something. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, we'll know when we get there, you know, and it, it'll be interesting to find out. And, and uh, so it's like, um, you know, I, I, I think that this chapter does give room for women leadership in the church in some way, some shape, some form. I just don't know to what degree. You have Priscilla listed first. You have Junia, who could be an apostle. Uh, Phoebe, who, you know, who are you going to entrust to carry a letter? If I were Phoebe, and I agree with you, if I were Phoebe, the first thing I would have done once I got to Rome was I would have turned that scroll to chapter 16. <laughs> you know, I really would have. <laughs> Say, okay, Paul sent me, you know. So, yeah, I, and so I think I think sometimes these things are, are they're, Sometimes they're more cultural than we want them to be. Um, it, it, but nonetheless, here's the thing about that. We try to find our way through culture. It's the only thing, the other thing we got. The culture is like the air we breathe. And, and we're not even aware that it exists most of the time. Our worldview is like the air that we breathe, which is informed by the culture in which you grew up in. And so that's the means by which we've tried to find our way as a church for almost 2,000 years. So, um, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's really, to me, it's fascinating. Um, and we're, well, we're just about out of time, but Tim was late. Uh, one more, and then I'll be done. Um, two more verses, and I'll be done, but I'll be quick. Let's go back to verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Paul must have adopted Rufus' mother unless Rufus is his brother, which I doubt. Uh, there is a Rufus mentioned in Mark 15, verse 21, who uh, is the son of Simon of Cyrene, the man who carried the cross for Jesus. Um. And so um, he's mentioned in Mark. Mark is often considered to be not only the first gospel written, but it's really Peter's account. And Mark wrote it. Uh, Peter is believed to have been the one who founded the church in Rome. And so 
um, and the Gospel of Mark is often connected with the early church of Rome. So this would have been something that they would have been familiar of, and so I'm pretty sure that this Rufus is exactly the Rufus mentioned in Mark 15, 21, as a son of Simon. Um, um, and then verse 15, it says, Greet uh, Philologia, or, uh, I, spent, I said that wrong, Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the other saints who are with them. Um, I'm missing one more. Oh, verse 14. Greet Asyncritus. Okay, I'm not going to read those. Hermas, all right? Hermas. That's who I want to pick out here in verse 14. I had a typo. I wrote 15. I meant to be 14, so I apologize for that. Uh, this Hermas is believed by Origen, early father, and Eusebius, early father, uh, they believe that this Hermas uh, was the author of that apocalyptic work known as the Shepherd of Hermas. An, again, another piece of early church writing, but not considered canon. And what I mean by not considered canon was it wasn't necessarily in the category of all scriptures inspired God breathed. But nonetheless, still helpful. Uh, and 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 good reading, and it's it's a it's an interesting. Uh, I've read parts of it, and it does touch a lot on the end times. You might be interested in the Shepherd of Hermas, but uh, that was the view of Origen. Origen was second, late second, early third century, and Eusebius was second century. Um, that that he was the one who wrote this particular work. Um, so. A very uh, not an easy, not an easy chapter or portion to navigate and to teach through. And maybe that's why he ends it with greet another, uh, greet one another with it with a holy handshake. So, um, <laughs> and the churches of Christ.